This is a Domino's pizza box. You know what used to be in it? A large two-topping, hand-tossed pizza that I ate. But as I was eating, I noticed the most interesting thing. I never pay attention to this. But here, on the cover, it says, there's a faster way to get this pizza. Now, that got my attention. Order online at dominoes.com. And I kept reading because that's not unusual. Probably many of you have been out there to do just that. But over here on the right, it says, easy order. After placing your favorite order, save it as your easy order and reorder it faster the next time on your computer. And then I, I saw, I, I don't know if it's on this box or maybe it might have been on the other one uh, because we ordered two. But it, it, it said, are you still ordering just online? How old? How tired? How 80s? That's what it says on on the, on the box, calling oh here calling the store is so 1980. If you're going to use a phone, try one of our easy to use mobile apps for Windows Phone, iPhone, or Android. So 1980, ordering a pizza on the phone, you should be using an app. I enjoyed the pizza a lot. It was one of the best I've ever had. I got to thinking, isn't it interesting how much culture has changed? The things that are different in our lives today, even the way that we order pizza is different today than just in the last decade or two. And here, we're celebrating a Jesus as the Bible tells us, who lived some 2,000 years ago. I wonder what all has changed since he walked the earth. I was looking through some articles as I was preparing for this message, which, by the way, I've entitled, What We've Had Wrong About Modern Culture and the Church. And I came across one called 14 Things Your Parents Wouldn't Let You Do in the 90s. Now, see if you personally identify with any of this. You 20, 30-somethings, you 20-somethings might personally identify with this. As I worked through it, I identified with it as the parent who used to tell my daughter she couldn't do these things. See where you're at. Here's one, miss church. You were not allowed to miss church. And if you had to study for a test the next day, then you just had to pray that Jesus would help you remember the answers because you are still going to church. And if there was a camp meeting or a revival, then you couldn't make any plans between the hours of 5 p.m. and midnight for a week because you were going to be there in church. In fact, you were going to get there early and pray over the pews and anoint them with oil. You'd still be staying late because that one guy wasn't leaving until that one evangelist, all right, he wasn't leaving until he had laid hands on everybody in the church service and prayed well after midnight. I don't know if you've ever been there, done that, been there. 
Oh, and this was before cool things like Veggie Tales, by the way, and Children's Church. You had to sit in the main service. Maybe you got some flannel graphs to play with. Boy, I remember those days. Here's the second one. Listen to rock and roll. I mean, it was either the devil or you get right with God, but you are not listening to rock and roll, okay? You'll, you'll go to hell. You might just go to hell if you keep listening to that rock and roll. And, and, and so it was interesting. A lot of people had a Jesus bonfire. You know what the Jesus bonfire was, where you took all your rock records and, and burned them. How about watching the Smurfs? How about playing with a Barbie doll? We didn't allow Lisa to play with a Barbie doll. We, we thought that it was corrupt and that it would give her a false image of what a woman was like. Participating in Halloween, how about that one? Or especially haunted houses. I, I, I mean, trick-or-treating, nice try. Anton LaVey, you're not celebrating Satan's night in October. Instead, you're going to throw on a bathrobe, pick out a random name from the Old Testament, and head down to the local church for a thrilling adventure known as the Hallelujah Party. How about watching R-rated movies? Watching an R-rated movie was a great way to purchase a one-way ticket to the highway to hell. I'll tell you what. R stood for really full of demons. Until Mel Gibson came out with Passion for the Christ, the most graphic portrayal of the death and burial of Jesus Christ and his passion, and it was rated R. How about watching the symptom, symptoms? Ah, <laughs> uh, The Simpsons. Yeah, that was off limits. Corrupt show. How about this one? Taking the communion cup from the center of the tray. Uh-uh, you don't do that. You've got to stay in order. You take it from around the edge. And then once the edge is all worked through, you go to the second row. You never take the communion cup from the center of the plate. These are things we parents restricted our kids from doing in the 90s, listening to cassette tapes. You know why that was bad? Because if you played it backward, there was backward masking of satanic messages. You'll go to hell. How fascinating that the church of Jesus, culturally, particularly the Western American church, has tended to adopt a mission of against. We call out sin, we render judgments, and what I mean by that is for or against, God is for or against, this is right or wrong, he's a believer, she's not a believer. Good or bad, this is acceptable to God, that's unacceptable to God. Oh, the church is so good at rendering judgments. Overseeing and approving repentance, whether or not somebody has really gotten forgiveness. And, of course, maintaining the sign-up list. 
whether or not somebody's really saved and going to heaven. See, the church has been great about all of that stuff. And culturally, is it any surprise that we have lost relevance today? And yet, there's something culturally that affects the church. Something culturally in our American culture that still bothers. It, it, it still presents an uneasiness for the for the believer that really wants to be dedicated to Christ. Why? And where have we as a church had this thing of culture and how much we're going to allow and how much we're going to partake of? What are we going to permit our children to do and see and watch? There's still something about that. And I as a pastor, I have to address it. So would you go with me to 2 Timothy, to our text. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and you'll find it on the screen most likely. And we're going to begin in verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his coming and his kingdom. Herald and preach the word, Jeff Corson, Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome. You, as a preacher of the word, are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. That's part of my responsibility. That's interesting in light of the tremendous message of grace and love that our church knows. And convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not tolerate sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors that they hold. They'll turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. As for you, Jeff Corson, be calm, cool, and steady. Accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fully perform all the duties of your ministry. The reason I inserted my name there is that this epistle written to Timothy from the Apostle Paul is one of three letters from Paul considered to be in a finite, very small group of letters called, with a special name and title, the pastoral epistles. Paul, the Apostle, wrote them to Pastor Titus and Pastor Timothy. So it's specific instruction to a pastor as to his office and his responsibilities. I really do believe that there are some things that should not change with culture. And, and it's interesting because the church seems so split on this. Split between the anything goes or the legalism. And how do you find the proper path. Where, 
Where do you come down? We can't just let anything go. And yet the church has so oftentimes been so filled with legalism that the message of God's love and grace never has a chance to reach the heart. You've got to embrace the times, Pastor Jeff. Or, have you heard this one? You've got to change with culture to stay relevant, Pastor Jeff. Well, that depends. If you mean you've got to change with the times and be relevant in the sense that Paul brought it out here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22, I agree. Paul said, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possibility I might by any means or all possible means save some. Now that could border on anything goes and it sure isn't legalism. It's certainly open to cultural, the cultural effect that God would want us to be sensitive to, to grow with our times, to be sensitive on how to fish. How many of you know there's different ways to fish? Didn't Jesus say, I will make you fishers of men? If you've ever fished, you know that there's not just one way to fish. There's not just one type of lure. In fact, Depending on the time of day, you will fish the water differently, go to different depths, use a different lure. If you're fly fishing, oh my goodness, there's so many different things about how to catch a fish while fly fishing that depends on the weather, the temperature, the time of the day, the time of lure, whether or not you let the lure sink a couple of feet below the surface of the water or, or, or whether you skip it along the top and be sure that it never goes below the surface of the water. So many different things. But, but the end result is catch the fish. And I believe God wants the church today to be sensitive to how to be relevant so that we can catch the fish. And yet, I believe that what we read in our text is really important that we understand that there are some things that do not change. So while our message is love and grace without uh, judgment, we are required to be responsible and to have a commitment to certain scriptural principles. Let me give you several, and I've put them there in your notes. Number one, the centrality of New Testament love, which equals living for another. That grace is radical, transformational, and always the default position and responsibility of the redeemed towards the world and towards each other. You say, well, we got those, Pastor Jeff. That, that's what Genesis is all about. Well, let's try this one. Sexual purity is enjoined and required. God is holy, and he desires that we too live in that light. Number four, that our word has integrity, that we mean what we say, we keep our word. Number five, that integrity, transparency, and honesty, and faithfulness is in our relationships, and that we love deeply, but we're committed to the relationship so that we're transparent in that and we work at that and there's covenant in staying in those relationships. Not just marriage, by the way. 
Number six, commitment to the local church with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Absolutely a New Testament model of culture. And then community. And what I mean by community is, generally speaking, the fellowship. The fellowship with other Christians or like-minded believers as yourself. And service. Serving. Being involved with your talents and your treasure. Your time. Those are actually commanded in the New Testament. They're not optional for the believer who desires to grow and mature in their relationship with God. But I submit to you that it's God's kingdom that determines our culture. Get that. It is not the world. It is not Hollywood. It is not how the stars are dressing. It is not what you read in the magazines or in the newspapers. It's not what you can pull up on the internet as the latest or the greatest in how you should look, how you should dress, what you should listen to, what night spots to go to. It's not really about that. It's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God should establish the culture for God's people. What do I mean? Paul said it this way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat and drink. It's not a matter of what you eat or you drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I like that translation. That's the New Living Translation. Listen to me. At that time, one of the big issues culturally was whether or not Christians were allowed believers who had given their life to Christ and left Judaism, whether or not they still had to observe the Jewish laws regarding washing of hands and celebration of holy days and then what they could eat and what they could drink. I mean, it was huge. It was as important then to them culturally as issues regarding sex, Issues regarding gender, issues regarding politics, issues regarding violence, issues regarding any of these other uh, things today for us that are so important. Whether or not you can take your kids out for Halloween. You know, we make big issues out of some things that really aren't issues, but they're issues to us. What you ate and drank as part of ceremonial law was a huge, huge issue back then. And so here's Paul's response. Look, dear ones, the kingdom of God is not about all of these more petty things of what you eat and what you drink. Insert into the blank whatever cultural thing that you think is relative, how you dress, where you go, who you hang out with. Insert that there. It's not about what you eat and what you drink. He says it's about these three things. Living a life of goodness, of peace, and that's not personal peace in the context of this. This is talking about getting along and not doing things that offend the other believers in your midst. And the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is a very personal fruit of the Spirit that he's speaking of. I I like the definition here, living a life of goodness. I really believe that we as Christians ought to stay away from judging somebody else's righteousness. 
And that what we need to shoot for is, are we living a life of goodness? Are we living a life that's pleasing to God? Is the fruit of our goodness one that leads to peace and to joy? Now, I just outlined for you seven things that I don't think are subject to change in the kingdom of God, including sexual purity. So lest you think that I'm presenting a sloppy agape here and anything goes and you just live like you want to uh, and, and then come to church and enjoy the grace and love of God. I am not, and clearly I am not. It's just that I really believe it's important for us to not define culture by judgments and by preconceived ideas of what God accepts and we move over into the realm of righteousness, peace, and joy. Listen to this. Here's the message translation of verse 17, and then I'll read verse 18 as well. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right. I love that. I'm going to pause. Listen. I believe that cultural relevance today for the church has more to do with me as a passionate Christ follower coming alongside the individual who doesn't yet have a journey of faith and walking with them as they come to Christ, walking with them as they move from, a say, on, a, on the Ingalls scale of a plus five all the way to a minus nine, just a scale that's been used to judge progress in a lot of different organizations and so forth. Let's say spiritually speaking, we're working with an Ingalls scale and somebody's on a, on a minus five. I mean, they're really spiritually, they, they believe in God, they don't accept Christ, they don't go to church regularly, and they really have serious questions about the validity of the Bible altogether. Well, what's our posture? Do we disown them? Do we not have any fellowship? Do we say, well, you, until you repent and come to Christ, I can't really embrace you or be around you? Or, No. Jesus would have us befriend, to love, to embrace, no matter who it is, no matter what is going on in their life. Embrace and love them. Come alongside them and believe this. He's poured out his spirit, the Bible says, on all flesh. That includes, by the way, listen to me. He has poured his spirit out on all flesh. That includes the really messed up person that right now you're thinking about. That family member who just argues religion with you and wants nothing to do with God. Huh? I was talking to somebody this weekend on Saturday morning about that. How a family member just argues that point. Doesn't want anything to do with God. And yet they are passionate about about God and the things of God and want to be in church. How do you deal with a family member like that? Now, what do you do on Thanksgiving? <laughs> what do you do on Thanksgiving when you got family members like that? How about the lesbian and gay community? Do we reject them? Do we say, oh no, we, we can't be until you get your life right, until you change? No, we embrace, we fellowship, we come alongside what the Holy Spirit is doing in each person's life, and we try to just help them move from that minus five, if all it is, through months of fellowship and love, to a minus four, glory to God. We have improved somebody's life. And let's say over the next year, 
they move from a minus four to a minus two. And let's say over the next couple of years, they move to a minus zero, and they actually ask you one day, you know, uh, would it be all right if I came to church with you Sunday? And by the way, they still have a, a homosexual partner. <laughs> Is this okay? Is this the love of God? Is this the gospel? Absolutely it is. Because we're going to let God judge the righteousness of somebody's heart. And we are simply going to live His goodness and come alongside what He is doing in their life so that He can set them right. I don't set anybody right. He sets people right. I come alongside and just further what the Holy Spirit is already doing in their life. Could I get an amen this morning? I'll continue with the message translation. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. Come on. What a great translation of the Bible. Last week... We had central to our message this thought that as it is in heaven, so on earth. Would you say that with me? As it is in heaven, so on earth. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray that? As it is in heaven, Okay, now Jesus not only taught us to pray that, he demonstrated that. The kingdom is no longer up there somewhere in, quote, heaven Jesus brought the kingdom. Jesus introduced the kingdom. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. Jesus lived it and spoke it and demonstrated it for us. And then before he left the earth, he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go back to my Father. You're going to keep demonstrating the kingdom through your lives, through your testimony, through your preaching, through your sharing. You're going to continue to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Isn't that incredible? Let me make a comment to you here about something I feel very passionately about. And I, I, I believe it's sort of a dividing line between the preaching of truth and something that has really been a division area, a point of division for many churches. Listen to me carefully. Cessationism, cessationism theology has rendered the church powerless and full of men's doctrines. And it's why our culture today rejects the message of a living, resurrected Jesus Christ who's still doing in the earth today what he did when he walked on the earth. You say, wow, but, and thank you for that, Pastor Jeff, but what does secession mean? What does cessationism theology mean? It's the teaching and the doctrine or the theology that many practice today especially here in America and in the Western church, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that miracles and signs and wonders stopped when the last apostle died and that they aren't anymore. They're not in the present church. They're not for today because what we have today in place is the Bible. I categorically deny secessionism. I don't believe in that theology. I believe that what Jesus was doing when he walked this earth, he is still doing today. 
signs, wonders, and miracles. I don't believe the gifts of the Spirit ended with the last apostle. I believe those gifts of the Spirit, the Bible teaches, are still active in the earth and through the church today when one, when a, when a Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those signs, those wonders, those miracles can continue through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. To deny that today's culture and world would be any less needy of such a supernatural Jesus. Can you see where we've gone so wrong? On the one hand, we become judgmental and critical of everything that we're against and don't understand. And on the other hand, the very power that God gave to believers to change people's lives, we say doesn't exist anymore. We just have to believe the Bible and then we'll go to believe the Bible, believe that God will change us, live a good life, ask for God's help to do so, and then we'll go to heaven and over when we get to heaven, God's going to correct everything, supernaturally make everything right, and forever we'll be with him. I don't know about you, but I need the gifts now. I need the power now. I need the victory now. I need miracles now. I need the Holy Spirit now. I need transformational power now, just like when Jesus walked the earth. I won't need it when I get to heaven. And so be careful of any teaching that tells you that miracles have passed away, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, working of miracles, gifts of healings have passed away. They are current for today. And so the kingdom of God must be the basis of what's culturally relevant in our churches today. Not felt needs, not applause, not numbers, and not the latest poll. Kingdom determines culture, not the whim of man or the tide of fallen nature. The kingdom, not culture, is what determines what is relevant in the church today. So I'm here this morning as your pastor to make a declaration to you lest there's been any mistake or any question regarding what we believe from this pulpit, what we teach in this church. Number one, I still believe that what Jesus said he would do when he said, I will build my church, is true. He didn't lie. He's building his church. And I categorically reject the articles all of the voices out there that are telling us how much Christianity is fading, passing away, it's not effective today, churches are all closing, all the millennials are leaving the faith. I know that there's a measure of that happening. I just believe that when Jesus said, I will build my church, that he wasn't lying. He's still building it. He's building it today. It's active. It's powerful. It's wonderful in the earth. And you and I are part of it. Hallelujah. I still believe in a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. I still believe in a church that embraces the power of prayer and that God answers prayer that's based on faith. I still believe in a church that's committed to the integrity of God's Word and that there is such a thing as absolute truth. It's called the Bible, and we need to model our lives after this Word. I still believe in the faithfulness of uh, passionate Christ followers whose lives bear the fruit of transformation. 
I don't believe it's normal for somebody to say, I go to church, and then all during the week, you can't see any sign of that. I don't believe it's normal Christianity to claim that you know Jesus. I believe in God, but then your life has no fruit of his love, of his victory, of his joy, and you're living just like the person that has no faith in Jesus Christ at all. I don't believe that's normal Christianity. I believe if you believe in Jesus and your life has really been changed by his love, that there'll be fruit of that change. There'll be evidence of that change in your life. I still believe that that's a reality. I still believe that the good news transforms lives. It purifies the conscience. It unveils the fatherhood of God. And it causes the unbeliever to come to the place of his or her faith in the redemptive work of Jesus and what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. I still believe that when a believer asks God to baptize him or her in the Holy Spirit, that God's power comes upon that person, equipping them supernaturally to live and serve in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know what I still believe? In church membership. I still believe it's important to put roots down, to find a good local church, to get committed and to put roots down and to belong there. So I did something interesting, and I'll close with this. Don't shut your Bibles. Don't turn off your mind. Listen to me carefully as I tell you what happened in this brief study that I did, I got to thinking, you know, when it comes to membership, so, you know, it's up and down, and church, a lot of church to, churches today don't accept it, don't believe in it, and a lot of churches still do, and where, where should we be on this? So I decided, you know what, one of the sister churches that we so love, and, and theologically and in our uh, practice and in the kind of the style that we embrace here is Bethel. Bethel Church out of Redding, California. And so I was interested because, you know, I've heard so many different things about Bethel. I've heard about how liberal they are. I've heard about how free they are, you know. Oh, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, signs, wonders, miracles, gold, dust falling out of the ceiling, all kinds of incredible things going on. But that they're very liberal and free and, you know, I've had people that are, that are really plugged into Bethel and claim Bill Johnson, the pastor there, is their spiritual father. And yet they regularly get drunk. Regularly get drunk. I thought, that, that, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. I, 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 wonder what, I wonder what Bethel believes about membership. I just thought it would be an interesting dichotomy and study if I went out there and found that, no, we, we're not going to have membership. And hey, we, we don't believe in teaching righteousness or purity or uh, anything that could be interpreted as legalism. We just let people kind of come and grow and, you know. So I thought, you know, I wonder if there's anything on their website. Guess what I found? Membership at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Listen to this. Means affirming the following commitments that express our devotion to Christ and to one another. These commitments described in our, member, these commitments described in our membership commitment 
keep us all pointed in the same direction as we follow Jesus as members of his local church. By signing, get this now, are you listening to me? By signing this commitment, you acknowledge your need to cooperate with God's love and his power as he establishes righteousness in all of us, which we cannot create on our own. And I affirm, here's what you would be signing, I affirm the following, point one. I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and, I bo- I, and boast in him, not in myself. Point number two. I have been baptized in water at some point in my life, signifying my conversion and my new life in God. Point number three. I take responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to continue to nurture my own close, obedient, loving friendship with the Lord. Next. My life evidences a genuine... Get this. My life evidences a genuine experience of regeneration, the new birth, and a commitment to holiness, wholeness of the church family, Specifically, I affirm the sacredness of sexuality and marriage, and in marriage, I will be completely faithful to my spouse. I believe Scripture teaches that sex is a blessing to be rightly experienced only within heterosexual marriage. Therefore, I will avoid sex outside of marriage, pornography, living as a husband or wife when I'm not married, and or homosexuality. This is in Bethel's written commitment that you have to sign to be a member there. <laughs> I wonder how many hands I'd, I'd get if, if I said, hey, we got a new membership certificate here at Genesis. All of you that are already members, I, 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 I need to go retro back and I, I need you to sign something fresh. <laughs> That's a great noise. <laughs> oh, bless you guys. Man, you've been on the front row for all of this. The rest of it will be online. I love you. God bless you. You have another one in the car, right? Okay. (laughs) Oh. Reach your hands out, Father, in Jesus' name. We just, we bless this family. We, We bless them in their going and their coming. Give them a great weekend. Come on, all. Come on, church. Get your chairs moved there. Praise God. Amen. And Father, for Mama, Grandma there, just fill her with your life, your spirit. We love you. Come back see us. Amen. Now watch this. I'm, I'm not done reading their membership. Next point. Watch this. As well, I follow the wisdom of the Lord by refraining from intoxication. I can't, I can't believe I'm reading a membership certificate from Bethel. I'm going to go back. As well, I follow the wisdom of the Lord by refraining from intoxication with alcohol or drugs. Should I stumble in any of these areas, I will get up again with the help of the Holy Spirit and my church family. I've read and I agree to Bethel's statement of faith and statement of purpose. I contribute regularly to the support of the congregation in the form of tithes and offerings, time and attendance. I agree to be governed by the congregation's bylaws as they pertain to the church of life. If offered, I would not abandon this commitment, but would speak the truth in love and work through conflict with gentleness, grace, and forgiveness. Dear Lord, I wish everybody would do that. I will be thankful and live humbly and honorably in all my relationships with both Christians and non-Christians so as to be a faithful ambassador of Christ's kingdom. I will be accountable to keep these commitments and to welcome correction 
to welcome correction in my life and in my doctrine if it need be. If the Lord seems to be transitioning me to a different church, I will not simply... This is in Bethel's membership commitment. Watch this. If the Lord seems to be transitioning me to a different church, I will not simply leave, but I'll consider this transition with the community and redefine this commitment with Bethel Church Reading. Bethel, I will trans- uh, Bethel will transfer my membership to other congregations when requested to do so. I know I'd lose half this congregation if I had a membership certificate like that. (laughs) Dear ones, the kingdom of God defines what is culture for the believer. Not the world. Not your favorite magazine. Not what your friends are doing or saying. We're going to stick with the Bible.